0: Preaching, but this sermon is, is part four in this series um, and it is still part of our Christmas series but um, at the end you're going to probably think, well that didn't necessarily feel like it was part of the Christmas series. Let me uh, give you guys some history um, because I'm new to you so I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about you and about the church that god has called me to pastor did you know that our church um is uh this year is turning 92 years old 92 years old this church is and 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 by covid standards it should be shot shot and get boosted but instead of that i i i think we should ask this year that on in our 92nd year that we don't go get a vaccination, but we ask the Lord to boost us in a way that only He can. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I, how, somebody tell me, how long have we been in this building? Does anyone know that? How many years? Four days. Four days. <laughs> Not, I think longer than that. Not, since 93? 93. 93. So I'm right. I have 28 years. We've been in this building 28 years. Do you know that you've been in this building as long as Kristen and I have been married? Cool. Okay, so listen to this. Here's some other stats. Did you know that we currently have 354 people on our membership roll? Where, where are all these people? 354 people on our membership role. Now, I I will pause and tell you that our membership role represents everyone who's ever been a member in this church. And unfortunately, your previous pastors have never done something that our denomination asks us to do periodically, which is called a membership audit. And so... We will be as a church leadership team doing a membership audit because of those 354 people, there are several that I've been told that are still on our membership roll that have gone on to be with the Lord. Some of them have moved even to other states, uh, warmer states, I have been told. Um, But but we currently have 354 people on our membership roll. Here's another little piece of information. Did you know that, that since 2006, 355 people have begun their faith journey here? And what I mean by that is that we have, we have kept track since 2005 of the, the amount of people who have accepted Christ or been converted into Christianity uh, in this church. And since 2006, two, 355 people have made professions of faith. Again, I wonder where all these people are. Now, here's a really cool piece. Since 1980, did you know that 205 people have been baptized in this church? 205 people since 1980. We're going to add 2 to that number today. Now, all of these people represent people that have began a spiritual journey in our church or they've reconnected with their spiritual journey through our church. Even if it was for a brief moment, even if they were saved here and moved on somewhere else, or if they were baptized here and moved on to someone else, of those 354 members, those who are still living, I hope and pray that they're still serving and following the Lord and that they're just simply engaged somewhere else. But what these numbers mean is that at some point in time in their, in their life journey, their spiritual journey, the God did something special in a moment in their life, in this place, and they accepted Christ. They made a decision to follow Jesus for the very first time, or they returned to Christ after simply walking away. And this is significant because I believe that every person, regardless of who you are, is on a spiritual journey. The best of the best, the worst of the worst are all on a spiritual journey. Whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not, whether they're open to it or not. The moment before the most desperate Horrible decision a person could make in their life, they're on a spiritual journey. In the m- most beautiful, most, most special moments of your life, you're on a spiritual journey. That's why I, I, I get a little I get a little nervous. I get a little um, cautious at how do you know that there used to be. to to get married in in our country you used to have to have a pastor marry you. Do you know that most states anybody can marry anybody? I mean the guy at the McDonald's drive thru could marry you in a lot of states. And and what concerns me is that that is a spiritual decision. It's a it's a it's a it's a recognition of that God takes two people and joins them together for eternity in regards to what we believe about marriage and 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 i and so that can be a a huge spiritual opportunity to reach somebody and there's many others like that birth of a child can be a huge spiritual experience for you i remember when quinlan was born that was Kristen and i's story because we had our first two children and everything seemed to be fine and maybe we're going to have more and but then she had two miscarriages after Dawson. And she, along the way, discovered this medical condition she has. And, and the doctor was like, you know, I could, I could give you guys fertility medication. You know, after that second miscarriage, the doctor was like, we could probably give you a boost. And, and maybe, just maybe, the baby would become viable when you got pregnant again. And Kristen and I were on a spiritual journey. And we just looked at the doctor and we said, well, doc, we just believe... You know, no thanks, we just believe this is God's way of telling us we're done. And then God led Kristen to kind of a treatment plan to kind of get her body back in order. And sure enough, a couple of years later, after Kristen and I started making fun of everybody still schlepping diaper bags and strollers, and after we sold everything, baby, we had i come home from work then one day and she's like, you know, if I didn't know any better, I'd think I was pregnant. And I can tell you that Quinlan is a gift and that I just remember being so much more emotionally moved by her birth, even more so than Tucker and Dawson. Not that Tucker and Dawson aren't special, it's just because of the spiritual journey you go on during you know, that, that kind of season every one of us is on a spiritual journey. Do you know how I know that every one of us is on a spiritual journey? Because in God's Word, it tells us this. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says that so God created mankind in His own image. And in the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And because God created you and I, because He created us in His image, every single one of us is spiritually connected to God our Father. We have this this deep spiritual connection to God that cannot be broken. In fact, we believe in the church that every single person born of a man and woman on this earth has this inward pull to God that implanted in you From the very beginning of time is this inward pull of God that every single one of us, no matter who you are, how bad you are, how far you are, I don't care if you're Charles Manson, you have an inward pull of God in your life. Now it's up to us whether we recognize it and respond to it. We all have this spirit man inside of us and in each and every one of us He is is there to help guide us on our journey, to draw us near to God. We call that prevenient grace. We call it this grace that works before you, that there's this inward pull of God that's always drawing you to Him, but unfortunately, the human propensity is to pull away from God. We have this, this Spirit in us that is constantly trying to draw us to God, this spirit inside of us before we even choose to recognize god as an authority in our life he is there trying to help us discover the meaning of life trying to help us discover that we have a purpose in this world trying to help us uh, recognize the fullness of life that he wants us all to have and experience but unfortunately In this this life journey with, with this inward pull of God, unfortunately, too many of us get sidetracked along the way. And all along the way, all along the way, God is trying to pull us back to Him, trying to draw us near to Him through people and experiences and events and seasons of life. And most often, almost always, what gets in the way of this inward pull of God in reality is ourselves. It's us. It's the choices we make. The decisions that we make. The people that we choose to engage with. The, the, the desperate choices we make. The, the bad moves or the wrong steps that we make and the reason why we find ourselves in these places is because we just have this as much as we have an inward pull of God we also have this self-will propensity to to, to neglect or misdirect this spiritual pull or desire towards outward things we, we seem to think that happiness or fulfillment can come from external things when all along what we are looking for, what we need, has been inside us the whole time. And here's the one thing that I've discovered. Here's the one thing that I've recognized in my journey. As, as, as I've I mean, it took me 30 years of my life to recognize that God was a good God. That He wasn't this evil principle up in the sky that was just disappointed in me all the time. It took me 30 years to discover He was a loving God and He wanted the very best for me. And here's the thing that I recognized all along that journey. If I'm going to respond to that pull of god in my life i got to recognize it i've got to recognize that he's there and he wants to be a part of my life then i i have to focus my attention on who he is and what he wants for me then i need to do some things i need to prioritize my faith journey I i need to prioritize that that God is going to have a say in the choices and the decisions that I make. If my spiritual journey, if my spiritual needs are going to be met, I have a responsibility to nurture those and to to be a part of the process that God lays out in front of me so that I can I can receive what He so freely wants to give me what i've discovered throughout the years is that if my spiritual journey is struggling if my needs aren't being met most likely it's because my spiritual journey needs attention or it needs nurturing it needs to be exercised i mean how many of you could use a little stair stepping little treadmill walking right Here's my biggest prayer, my biggest prayer request, my deepest desire, my hope above all hopes is that each of us would really get serious about our spiritual journey. You know, Shauna mentioned the the different things that our community has experienced this week. And I I, I just can't help but ask if God, who is so big and so powerful, was recognized by the individuals involved, in some way, might those things gone differently. But see, the challenge is, in this day and age, it can be difficult to focus on our spiritual journey. It can be be difficult to focus on what God wants to do in our lives because we're consumed with so many other things. We're consumed with so many things that, that, that I just think are dark. You know, we live in a, in a dark world. I mean, we serve a God who is so powerful He can overwhelm the darkness. But we live in a world that is dark. And, and sometimes the darkness that we live in, it's, it's even self-created. Um... I have a, sometimes, uh, I'm a, an, a, I'm, I'm what you would call an eternal optimist. I always see the bright thing, side of things. And, and I'm normally not a very uh, angry person. I, I have a pretty good handle on getting upset and angry. But sometimes I just get mad. And this last couple years have, has tried my patience. Has it tried your patience? Anybody in the room? I mean, I'm angry with COVID. I'm angry. I'm on it it over with. I think at this point, Omicron, it's like a cold. Everybody get it. Let's have COVID parties. Let's just get it and get over it and move on. I don't talk politics very often, and I'm not going to really today. But did you know that um, the president of the United States is going to give his State of the Union at the end of March? And it's the latest State of the Union that we have on record. And uh, I think our president's going to declare victory over COVID. Uh, But you heard it here first from me. (laughs) CNN, MSNBC, Fox News didn't tell you, but I think he's going to declare victory at the end of March. So stay tuned, people. I get angry. I get angry at the news. I get angry at politics. And they just, they make me mad. And when, when I get mad... Do you know what has the ability to kind of screw up my day? Darkness. Darkness. When I get angry, darkness prevails, and, and sometimes that's all I see. Now, I think anger has the greatest propensity to make us delve into the darker parts of the world. And I'm not saying that there isn't some kind of anger that is... Good. There's, we talk about righteous anger. There's righteous anger in the Bible. In fact, I'm, I'm going to tell you today we, we have a, a, a pastor in Kellogg'sville who's in his 30s and he just passed away from cancer. And I'm angry at cancer. Cancer sucks. And, and I got a friend in Oregon who had a massive heart attack on Christmas Eve. And I'm, I'm angry about that. that I, I hate that his family is going to have to figure out what it looks like to live without a husband and father there are things that we can be righteously angry about injustices i mean you can be angry about abortion yes we are a pro-life denomination the nazarene church is about the sanctity of life those are the kind of things that righteous anger is appropriate for and do you know what Righteous anger should always include the light of Jesus. Because as much as we would stand firm on the sanctity of life, how should we convince the world that that is true and right? Well, the light of Jesus. His Word tells us, right? Okay. But we live in this dark world. And this darkness keeps us from seeing the way that God has laid things out for us. And unfortunately, it seems like darkness keeps increasing. There are so many circumstances that discourage us, so many things that happen in our lives that, that discourage. There's, 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 Too many discouraging opportunities and not enough encouraging opportunities. Amen? And what I've discovered is that in the darkness, sometimes all you really need to do to find some hope is to shine a little light. All you need to do is shine a little light. Now, when I was a kid, I was desperately afraid of the dark. I was one of those kids... That the, my bedroom door had to be open, the hall light had to be on. I needed a night light. I was, I was, deathly scared of the dark. I remember one time I, s- I stayed over at my cousin's house. Did a sleepover with my cousins, and you know I wake up in the middle of the night in a dark room that I hadn't slept in before, and, and I was terrified. I just started crying and screaming, and I'm looking and trying to find it, the the light switch and the doorknob, anything, to, and I can't find it. Until so my aunt Marilyn came in and. Turned the light on, but, I mean, I was, I was terrified. But as soon as that light came on, everything was better again. I, I'm still kind of afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the dark for different reasons now, though. Because now, now, you know why I'm afraid of the dark now? Because I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Kind of a lot. And sometimes I don't wake all the way up. And uh, sometimes I take a left when I should have taken a Right. Sometimes I, I'm, I, I get waking, I, 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 somebody wakes me up in the middle of the night as I'm wandering around, and she doesn't use the light. She yells at me, what are you doing? i going to the bathroom. This isn't the bathroom. Now we have night lights. That way when I get up, a light shines and directs me. I almost fell down the stairs one time in the, at our house in Oregon. That's when we got the night lights. Isn't it amazing what a little bit of light can do in the middle of darkness? Isn't it, isn't, it, isn't it amazing what just a little bit of light can do to help you see your way through? And there's something that we need to realize this morning. One of the most prominent themes in the entire Bible is the difference, it's the contrast between light and darkness. In fact, there's a Bible study process uh, that proves the importance of this, uh, of the subject of light and darkness. Have you ever heard of the Bible study um, concept called uh, the law of first mention? Anybody? The law of first mention? Well, here's what the law of first mention uh, means. The law of first mention directs us to the purest teaching on a given subject because it is based on the the subject first mentioned, the subject's first mention in Scripture. So, if, you, if we're going to follow that process, the, the law of first mention, the law of first mention in regards to light and darkness takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was ho- hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. It and He separated the light from the darkness. Darkness. See, darkness was there, but God was motivated by the darkness to create light. And this is good news. See, 4,000 years, and then 4,000 years later, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus arrives and He comes to earth, This is what's said about Jesus in John 12, 46. Jesus says, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. See, God was motivated by the darkness to bring the light. And he was motivated by the darkness spiritually into the world to send Jesus as our light. Here's how this connects to Christmas. The reason there is a Christmas is because God was motivated to give us something other than darkness. He didn't want us to just live in darkness. He was moved by the darkness that covered the earth to create light. And then he was motivated by the darkness in the world to send his light, Jesus. See, Christmas is about light coming into a dark world. Did you know that's the reason why we celebrate Christmas in winter? In the middle, middle, middle of winter? They could, we could have placed Christmas anywhere. I mean, we don't really know if Jesus was born on Christmas. I mean, we don't know. But we've strategically placed Christmas in the winter. Have you ever wondered why it's always in the dead of winter? I mean, it really has nothing to do with reindeer and Santa Claus and all that stuff. It doesn't have anything to do with Frosty the snowman. Do you know why Christmas is strategically placed in the middle of the winter? Because it's the darkest part of the year. Have you ever heard of the winter solstice? Did you know that December 21st is the shortest day, the, sh- the day that provides the least amount of daylight? It's not a coincidence. That we sh- celebrate Christmas in the darkest time of the year. Christmas is smack dab right in the middle of the darkest time of the year. And Christmas is here to remind us that Jesus saw the darkness of our lives and he wanted to bring light. So let's take another look at the Christmas story this morning. Now, many people believe that the Christmas story is only found in two places in the book of Matthew. And in the book of Luke. And we've looked at Luke several times over this Christmas season. But it's not. Did you know that the Christmas story is also found in John chapter 1? You may never have realized that the Christmas story is found in John chapter 1 as well. Here's how John chapter 1 verses 1 through 5 read. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The Christmas story is wrapped in to this beautiful introduction to the life of Jesus. Because that's why Jesus came. He came to overcome the darkness in our lives. But the thing about darkness is we can't deal with darkness on our own. And darkness can manifest manifest itself in so many ways. Sin, anger, bitterness, guilt, unforgiveness. Have you ever experienced one of those things, you know how dark it makes things, how depressing, how um, how little hope you can find in those circumstances. You can have darkness in a marriage. You have darkness in your relationship with your children. You have darkness in your job, in relationships, your emotions. Believe it or not, I I really believe that. Potentially, some marriages who are that, that struggle, um, you might have two people who love each other and are committed to each other, but there's, there's a struggle in there. Well, I guarantee you there's some darkness in one of the couple's lives. There's something that's dark going on that's not had the light of Jesus shown on it yet, that's causing that dysfunction. It can be bigger, it can be small. See, when we allow darkness to come in, we open the door for pain and suffering and difficulty. When we allow darkness in, I think the worst of them all is spiritual darkness. Do you know what spiritual darkness is? Spiritual darkness is when we sin or we step outside of God's will and ways and then we keep carrying that offense. If you want to defeat spiritual darkness in your life if you have sinned the best way to defeat that is to immediately confess your sin to Jesus and ask him to forgive you and he is faithful and just to forgive you if you want to hold on to that if you want spiritual darkness to reign then sin and keep holding on to that offense keep keep that as unconfessed sin And here's the thing, when you sin, when I sin, and I do, the first thing I need to do is come clean to Jesus. Jesus, I'm sorry. I-, I fell short. I missed the mark there. And I need to have the confidence that I have a person in Jesus that will forgive me. And he will cleanse me of that time after time. I want you to know something. There's n- there is nothing darker than carrying the weight of your own darkness. Yes. And there's a great story in the Bible. There's a, there's a story in the Bible that, that I've preached on so many different times and I love this. I love to preach this passion this, this uh, passage of Scripture because it is, a, it is a perfect example of someone who's in a very dark place in their life responding to the light of Jesus and how the the light of Jesus affects affects so many others. Uh, are you familiar with the story of the woman caught in adultery? We're going to take a look at that story today. And it's found in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 12. And if you haven't already kind of opened your Bible today, open your Bible because I want to read this story to you and I want to I help you see what the light of Jesus can do, number one in the life of someone living in darkness, but I also want you to see how the light of Jesus can affect people who see how Jesus responds to darkness. So John chapter 8 is this beautiful story of, of, a, of, a, of an, an incident where the religious rulers uh, were trying to trap Jesus. And so they find a woman who is living a, a very sinful life. And they figure they can trap Jesus because it happens to be a Sabbath, a Sunday. And, he, and they, they're going to trap him. If he, he, they're going to bring this. He, he, not, I'm sorry. They're not going to trap him because of the Sabbath. They're going to trap him because if his response isn't what they think his response should be, that would be like blasphemy. And so they bring, they bring this woman before Jesus. And here's how the story goes. It says, Jesus, he went to the Mount of Olives at dawn and he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. You know, I love that first phrase because it says where all the people gathered around him. What this implies is that everyone in the community stopped what they were doing and showed up because Jesus did. What would happen in our community if everybody stopped on Sunday morning and came to church? Everybody just said, hey, we're going to make this a priority. And so he sat down to teach them. Verse 3 says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group, and they said to the teacher, they said to jesus teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery and here's where they're trying to trap jesus they say in the law of moses it's commanded that you stone this woman now what do you say they were using this question as a trap in order to have basis for accusing him but jesus he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger when they kept on questioning him he straightened up And he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Essentially he's saying, hey, anybody out there in the crowd not living in a little darkness themselves? If any of you are living in a little darkness, you have no say here. But if there's none of you, if all of you are living right where you should be, go ahead. You throw the first stone. And then he stooped down Again, and he wrote on the ground. Now, we're not sure. We don't really know what Jesus was doing in the sand, in the ground. Some believe he was writing Scripture. He he was quoting Scripture. Some people believe he was writing the names of those in the audience who had rocks in their hands. And he was addressing their sin. We don't necessarily know. But here's what we do know. Whatever he started to write down... Started to make a difference because those people in the crowd who thought they were living in the light started to see their darkness. They started to recognize their issues. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Why the older ones first? Well, because they had the most darkness in their lives. They lived alone. Until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Picture this. this. This woman is brought in front of every. Some believe that she was literally grabbed right out of an act of prostitution. Some believe she was actually engaged in prostitution. They drug her out and presented her in front of Jesus. And at the beginning of the Scripture, it says all the people were there, which meant that entire community had come. And so all of these people are facing her in her worst moment. And Jesus speaks, writes a few things down in the sand, and everyone turns around and leaves so that there's no one there but jesus and her here's what i want you to see in this when you're at the feet of jesus willing to address your darkness everyone who has anything to say about that disappears everyone who has anything to say about your past, what you've done, what you did last night, they lose every bit of any authority or power that they had in your life. That's pretty good news. That's pretty good preaching. Okay? That means that regardless of who you are, where you come from, What you did last night, what you're thinking about doing tonight, that if you let Jesus address the darkness, it has no power. It has no weight. It has no voice. And it has no authority in your life. She says, or Jesus, he straightens her up and he says, to this woman. He says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, sir. And Jesus says to her, He says, Then neither do I condemn you. And here's the part of the story that we can't miss. He says, Now, go. Leave your life of sin. So when Jesus addresses your darkness our responsibility is to leave it and to live and to walk in the light of jesus and then when jesus spoke again to the people he said to them hey you remember how i just dealt with that woman that you guys all thought was the worst of the worst the reason the reason why i I dealt with her in the manner that I did is because I'm the light of the world. And whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But they will have the light of life. I've preached this so many times. And every time I preach it, people are moved by it. But unfortunately, too many times, they walk away from a Sunday morning like this. And they do nothing with it. They don't do anything with the fact that Jesus can defeat the darkness in your life. That Jesus can shine the light of love and grace and mercy in your marriage, in your family. They don't do anything with the light. They do nothing with the light. And I know that it sounds bad, it's almost harsh to say, why won't you do something with the light of Jesus? That's why we're here. See, the light is here so that you and I don't have to live in, a, in the darkness of this world any longer. And every single time I've presented this, I think deep down, there's always someone wanting to let go of darkness and then live in, and, and to live in the light, but they don't. See, there's, there's something we miss every time, and it is something we must we must not miss. And there's something that we must do, and it's found in the very first mention. Let there be light." And there was light. The key word is "let." You've got to let there be light. You've got to let there be light. Do you know what the word let means? It means to permit to enter. See, some of us, we need to step out of the darkness and we need to let the light of Jesus shine. We need to do something, and that something is to let Jesus enter in marriage is struggling we're all I don't know we're we're not going to make it you need a little light how do you find light in a marriage that's falling apart well you look at your spouse the way Jesus does not the way that they've hurt you or the disappointment that you've experienced together. You look at them through the eyes of Jesus. How do you reconcile with a friend or brother or uncle or a cousin when they've hurt you deeply? Well, you let some light in. You say, Jesus, how do I pray for that person? How can I see where they may have been or where they're going when they hurt me. Maybe I just don't know everything. We have to let some light in. And it's that simple. It's, it's that simple. I don't know how many times I've had couples in my office, marriages struggling, Mar- marriage marriages falling apart. I give them some very practical things that just would shed some light on their relationships. I mean, I I print out the love scripture. You know, love is patient, love is kind. And I'm like, start your day this way and end your day this way. Put it on the fridge. Tape it to the mirror in the bathroom. Hey man, when you're shaving in the morning, you just read that. It's right there in front of you. You know, I give them something like that. And if both of them will do that, the light of Jesus comes in and I've seen marriages restored. Restored. But I've seen others where one says, I'm going to try. And the other says, pardon my language, but hell no. And it ends. And what they desperately needed was to let the light shine. It's that simple. Don't resist. Well, what if my spouse, what if my brother, what if my uncle, what if my cousin, what if they're not... What if they don't want the light? Well, you bring it anyways. What do you got to lose? The light of Jesus can heal everything. It can restore the brokenness marriage. It can bring a relationship that you thought was destroyed back together. It can change the very perspective you have on life. It can even help you see someone that you would have considered a bitter enemy your entire life as a friend. You might even be a Republican and find some Democrat friends if the light of Jesus were to come in. And some of you are like, "Uh uh-uh. That's why we just celebrated Christmas. That's why we celebrate Christmas every year we don't just celebrate the baby Jesus we celebrate that the light came to a dark world and it was good so let there be light we're only one heartfelt sincere I really mean it let there be light from seeing restoration and healing broken relationships and a broken world Joe and Jessica are going to go get changed real quick and we're going to baptize them and as we wrap up um, I'm going to ad lib for a few minutes we're only one heartfelt let there be light from God making a big difference you know, I've shared my testimony with you a couple of different times. And I can tell you, that the funny thing is, you guys remember my story of salvation when I accepted Christ in the back of an Aramark laundry truck? Um, the back of that Aramark laundry truck is the darkest, stinkiest truck that you could pretty much drive in. Every day I threw dirty laundry in the back of it from... Garages, restaurants, mills, you name it. And I would drive to my first stop in the dark. And so I drove in darkness. And I cursed the world in darkness. And then when I went in the back of the truck that morning, before the sun rose, and read that little Billy Graham crusade booklet, and then said the prayer in the back of it, and sign my name on the line, the dotted line in the back of the book, my truck was filled with light. It smelled better than it ever had. Probably better than it ever did again. But it was good. And you remember, you remember when you let the light into your life for the very first time. And in a couple of minutes, we're going to celebrate that with, Joe and Jessica. And they have really powerful testimonies um, that uh, you're going to get to hear. Kristen is going to read them um, uh, just before they get baptized. And so if you'll play for a second, because I'm out of things to say.